Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. إن الحمد لله إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا محمدا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون 
يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه واله وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أعاذنا الله وإياكم منها أجمعين Dear brothers and sisters Do you know what the Arabic word is for superstition? The Arabic word for superstition is khurafa but Khurafa is actually the name of a man. It is related by Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha who said, One night the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was telling a story to one of his wives and she said, That story seems like one of the stories of Khurafa. And he said, do you know who Khurafa is? Khurafa was a man from the tribe of Banu Udra. And in the period of Jahiliyyah prior to Islam in Arabia, he was kidnapped by some jinn. And he remained with these jinn for a very long time until finally they returned him to human beings. And when he got back, he would relate to people all of the oddities he saw among the jinn. So the people began to say, such and such is like a story of Khurafa. And so the name Khurafa came to be associated with the fanciful and oddities and superstition. And this is why we say superstition in Arabic is Khurafa. Now, the Prophet Muhammad came as a light of guidance. As Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Certainly there has come to you from Allah a light and a clear book. Because you need a light in order to see the book and to read the book. And so he is that light of guidance. He is that light of clarity and guidance who banished the darkness of idolatry, the darkness of polytheism, the darkness of misguidance, and the darkness of superstition. He banished idol worship and called against superstitions, always guiding his community to the key belief that we always have to emphasize and remind ourselves. And that key belief is, there is no nafi'r, there is no one who can bring benefit, and there is no dar, there is no one that can bring harm, in reality, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing in existence has the independent power to benefit you or harm you. Those are in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa would guide us in how we use our language 
would guide us in how we ascribe effects to certain causes. In one hadith recorded by Imam Muslim in his Sahih, the Prophet ﷺ says that Allah says, some of my servants have awoken as believers in me, and some have awoken as disbelievers in me. As for those who say, As for those who say, we've received rain due to the blessing of Allah and His mercy, then they are believers in me and disbelievers in the stars. But for those who wake up in the morning and say, We've received rain due to this or that star. He says, subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have awoken as believers, disbelievers in me and believers in the stars. Now, according to the great Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah, who commented on this hadith, he says, this is regarding the one who says that the stars bring rain independent as a doer, an independent doer that manages and spreads the rain. Because that was a belief held by so many people prior to Islam who would ascribe natural events to other things in nature, believing they have independent power. This is not the belief that we have. The Prophet Muhammad brought us a very pure, clean, and pristine teaching about the oneness of God and God's absolute power. So Tawheed, that belief in the oneness of Allah, is not just about worshipping Allah alone, it is also affirming that nothing else besides Him has independent power. It is our belief as Muslims that everything in existence is in need of Allah. No created thing that has a beginning, that has an end, that undergoes change, none of those things have independent power to harm or benefit. Everything in existence, including you and me, is intrinsically needy. This is what the scholars call al-faqr al-dhati, intrinsically needy. Allah Ta'ala reminds us of this reality in the Qur'an when He says, addressing all of humanity, Ya ayyuhal nas, antumul fuqara'u Allah." O humanity, you are all poor and needy unto God. So everybody's needy, from the most minuscule of creation to the greatest of creation, including the prophets and messengers. Everything is needy. And as Muslims, just as we believe that nothing besides Allah has independent power, well, we also don't believe that things act with autonomous power. Meaning, we don't believe in deposited power, where Allah gives someone or something some autonomy, where He then has to step in and intervene. We don't believe in that notion of divine intervention. We believe in miracles, but not divine intervention as if all of creation is like a wind-up clock or a wind-up toy operating independently of God Almighty. We don't believe that. 
Because Allah is creating everything at every moment. Everything is constantly being updated. So the act of creation is ongoing. That is our belief as Muslims. Allahu khaliqu kulli shay. Allah is the creator of everything. That's our belief. So when a Muslim says, for example, when you drink water, if you say, the water quenched my thirst, we understand that when you say that as a Muslim, you don't mean that the water has independent power to quench your thirst. And you don't believe that it's been given this status, independent status to do that. We know that when you as a Muslim say the water quenched my thirst, it's a kind of shorthand. And because it's shorthand, we read between the lines and we know that you're saying, well, the water was the means by which my thirst was quenched. But ultimately, it is Allah, God, who quenched my thirst in conjunction with my drinking of the water. Not even with the drinking of the water, because he doesn't need water to quench your thirst. But it's in conjunction with the act of drinking water. And the same thing applies to any cause. If you say, it with regards to burning, uh, eating food, quenching thirst, cold, heat, and so on. It's all shorthand. Allah is the creator of everything. Now I want us to explore a very beautiful and instructive hadith which teaches us this reality. And this is a famous hadith from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma. He mentions a story about when he was a young man right before he hit puberty. And he says in this hadith, Kuntu I was behind the Prophet One narration he says, Kuntu Meaning he was riding on an animal sitting behind him on a mule or something like that. This is a great honor to be riding on the same beast of burden. Only nine other companions had that honor. So he says as a young man he was riding behind him when the Prophet ﷺ addressed him, saying, Ya Ghulam, Fakala, Ya Ghulam, O young man. So, this is to get the attention of Ibn Abbas. He's about to enter the stage of puberty. So, the Prophet ﷺ is teaching him essential knowledge shortly before he is legally accountable. Mukallaf. What are these words? He says, I'm going to teach you some words. The first of those statements, he said, He said, Be mindful of Allah and Allah will protect you. Be mindful of Allah and Allah will protect you. Now the word, you could translate perhaps as safeguard or protect or preserve but those meanings will be inapplicable here because Allah is not in need of anyone protecting or safeguarding or looking after him. He is al-hafiz. He is the guardian protector. This is very similar to another style we find in the Quran where Allah says, "In If you help Allah, Allah will help you. Allah doesn't need your help. He is al-ghani. So this means to be mindful of the limits that have been set by Allah, minding his rights, being mindful of what he has ordered, being mindful of what he has forbidden. And you see this in Surah Tawbah. 
in the ninth chapter of the Quran, Allah describes the believers as those who safeguard the limit set by God. That's what it means. He says to the young man, Be mindful of Allah and you get something out of that. He says, What do you get out of that? In Arabic, this is called Jawab al-Shart. You have the consequence of the command. If you do X, you will receive Y. And so one of the ways Allah Ta'ala safeguards you and protects you is that He guards your soul from misconceptions, from false ideologies, from false beliefs, from vain desires. You're protected from these dangers. Be mindful of Allah and Allah will protect you in this world. He'll protect you in your body, in your mind, in your soul in your family, in your property, in your belongings. Be mindful of Allah during your youth, and Allah will protect you in your old age. This is confirmed in the other hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he says, Come to know God in times of comfort and ease, and God will know you in times of difficulty. God knows you all the time, but it means... Remember Allah in times of ease and comfort. Allah will look after you in times of difficulty. Then he says to Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhuma, tajidhu tujahak. He says, repeating the same phrase, be mindful of Allah and you will find him in front of you. You will find him in front of you. What does this mean? He is emphasizing what he just said but he's also mentioning another consequence of being mindful of God, describing what the scholars call al-ma'iyyatul khassa, or the special proximity, the unique withness, where Allah is with you in the sense of special support and protection and strength, al-nasr, wal-ta'yid, wal-inayah, and so on and so forth. Be mindful of Allah, and Allah will look after you. Then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, وَإِذَا سَأَلْتَ فَاسْأَلِ اللَّهِ وَإِذَا اسْتَعَنْتَ فَاسْتَعِنْ بِاللَّهِ If you ask, ask of Allah. And if you seek help, then seek help of Allah. So the foundation is that you seek from Allah. You pray to Allah. You ask of Allah. You beg of Allah. You connect with your Creator in the fulfillment of all of your needs so that you come to rely on God for everything. When you have that quality, it translates into reliance in hardiness and constant connection with God in all matters, small and large. Now this phrase is not saying that it's absolutely haram to ask people for things because if you ask someone for help or for money or to move your furniture or things like that, you're just using the means that are available in this world. That's not what the hadith means. When he says, when you ask, ask Allah. When you seek help, seek help in Allah. It means you're encouraged to make that your foundation and not ask others excessively. If we go with this conjecture that it means you can't ask anyone, that means it's invalid for you to ask your own child to do their homework 
or for the, the child to ask their parents for dinner, or to ask your friend to pa pass the ketchup, or for a drowning person to ask someone to throw a lifeboat or a life raft and whatnot. That's not what it means. It's encouraging contentment in what Allah gives and seeking from Allah Ta'ala for all of your needs. Now after this, he says to Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, وَعْلَمْ أَنَّ الْأُمَّةَ لَوْ اجْتَمَعَتْ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَنْفَعُوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَنْفَعُوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ لَكَ وَإِنْ اجْتَمَعُوا عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَضُرُّوكَ بِشَيْءٍ لَمْ يَضُرُّوكَ إِلَّا بِشَيْءٍ قَدْ كَتَبَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكَ He says, no, as a command, no, you must know that if everyone were to gather together to benefit you with something, they would not benefit you with anything except what Allah has already decreed for you. And if they all gathered, all humanity gathered, to harm you with something, they would not be able to harm you except in that which Allah has already decreed for you. This is a very powerful statement. And this describes the haqiqah, the reality of the matter. This is directly related to what we said earlier. The core belief we have as Muslims, that there is no nafi', no one who benefits, no dar, no one who harms, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the reality. There is no one who can bring benefit or harm independently, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the reality of Iman, dear brothers and sisters. In a hadith recorded by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, the Prophet ﷺ said that everything has a reality to it. Everything has a haqiqah, a reality. And the servant of Allah will not reach the reality of faith until he knows that what reached him was not going to miss him. And what missed him was not going to reach him. If you get sick, you got sick. It wasn't going to miss you. If you didn't get sick, when everyone around you was sick, you weren't going to be sick in the first place. It wasn't going to happen. These things are decreed by Allah. You take the means, but you understand who's really in control. This is echoed in the Quran in so many ayat. For example, in Surah At-Tawbah, Allah Ta'ala says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, قُلْ Say, قُلْ لَنْ يُصِيبَنَا إِلَّا مَا كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَنَا هُوَ مَوْلَانَا وَعَلَى اللَّهِ فَلْيَتَوَكِّلُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ He says, say to them that nothing will happen to us, nothing negatively will impact us, except what Allah has decreed for us. He is our protector. وَعَلَى اللَّهِ فَلْيَتَوَكَّدِ الْمِنُونَ And upon, in, in Allah, let the believers place their trust. Now Ibn Rajab al-Hambari rahimahullah speaks about this hadith of Ibn Abbas and says that everything in this hadith can be boiled down to this phrase. To realize that nothing in creation can harm you independently of God. That is the reality. And the Prophet ﷺ ends this statement to Ibn Abbas by saying, Rufi'atil aqlam wa jaffatil suhuf. The pins have been raised 
and the pages have dried. What pens and what pages? This is a reference to our belief in Al-Qadha wal-Qadr, the divine decree in preordainment, that Allah has recorded everything that is going to occur in existence. His knowledge encompasses all things. His knowledge does not get updated or renewed. Everything has unfolded in his knowledge as it is going to be. The pens have dried, the pages have dried, and the pens have been lifted. That is the reality. Now what's so beautiful about this hadith, and it's beautiful in so many ways, but one of the ways it's beautiful is that it was a teaching moment the Prophet ﷺ took with the young Ibn Abbas right before he hit the age of puberty. So you see that this is teaching us that our young people have to be prepared and given guidance about these realities, these fundamentals of faith. If a child like Ibn Abbas is taught these deep matters, what about us? What about our children? What about the youth in our communities? They have to know these realities just as we do. These things are unchanging. And Allah Ta'ala says, and remind, وَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ ذِكْرَى تَنْفَعُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Remind, because the reminder benefits the believers. May Allah strengthen our iman and our certainty and give us conviction in the reality of His ultimate power and make us those who have that confidence, that contentment, and that trust in Him. And may He not make us of those who put their hopes and aspirations in other than Him. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد الصادق الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته وتعلق بجانبه إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters from this very instructive and powerful hadith of Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما we learn that Islam as our belief rejects superstitions, khurafat. We reject belief in superstitions. So what exactly is superstition? How do we define that term? Superstition is defined as any credulous beliefs that are not based on revelation from God, and that are not based on sound reason, particularly the belief that future events can be foretold by specific unrelated events. That is a general definition of superstition. Now, people who don't understand the principles of Islam may seek to cling to things for reassurance or they seek to cling to things because of fear, and this may result in them becoming superstitious and engaging in what we call khurafat, superstitious beliefs. And what they're trying to do is explain 
what is unexplainable. By looking at something that is unexplainable that may happen in the future, something that they fear, and trying to link it to something uh, prior to it that is not really related to it whatsoever. So they link the two together and establish this correlation that's not affirmed in the Qur'an or affirmed by sound reason. That's the gist of what superstition is. This reflects a desire that people have to have power over their destinies and to avoid misfortunes. And the Prophet ﷺ fought against superstitions because he warned the community about going to the soothsayers, Al-Quhan, the Arrafun, soothsayers, um, prognosticators, fortune tellers, all of these types of people. He also warned against seeking omens from birds or stones or you, know, you could add to that other things by qiyas, tea leaf reading and so on and so forth. And he warned us from ascribing power to the stars or to constellations or seeking to predict the future using horoscopes. He warned against all of these things. And in this society, we also have many other superstitions. In this society, we have lots of old, ancient superstitions. The idea, for example, that if you break a mirror, that will bring you seven years of bad luck. That you have bad luck if a black cat crosses your path. Belief that the number 13 is an unlucky number. The belief that if you spill salt on the table, you need to take it and toss it behind your left shoulder. The, the idea that it's bad luck to walk underneath a ladder. There's lots of superstitions like these. And these are very ancient. They're rooted in very ancient beliefs. And when we venture outside of the society into the Muslim majority world, we see there's also superstitions that people may hold on to. People who may go to fortune tellers. People who may go to uh, Sahara, you know, literal magicians. Sihar, Jadu. People who go to uh, Amils, you know, people who engage in these practices, soothsayers and the like. They go to them to solve their problems. You see even signs, marriage, money problems. They can solve all these problems as long as you pay them to do these things. But people never ask this question of themselves. If those people can solve my problems, why do they have their own problems? If they can solve all my problems, if I pay them the right amount of money, why is it that they have problems themselves? doesn't make any sense. So we don't believe in superstitions in general. And that brings us to where we are today, dear brothers and sisters. We're just a few days away from that reoccurring event that we see every year. Halloween. It's a few days away. And this tradition of Halloween deserves a few words. This tradition comes from the ancient Celtic holiday called Samhain. Uh, the Celts believe that the 31st of October was the last day of the year, it was the final part of their harvest season, and it marked the beginning of winter. And they believe that this change between the seasons was actually a kind of what we call barzakh in Arabic, a bridge between this world and the world of the dead. They believe that, that that bridge was very 
apparent during that time. And they believed that it was uh, a malefic night, an evil night where spirits would roam the streets and villages. So on October 31st, to avoid being recognized by these uh, afterworldly uh, figures, these ghosts and whatnot, they would themselves disguise themselves as uh, dead figures or disguise themselves as animals, as ghosts, when they left their homes after dark. And they did this so that, in their belief, that these uh, ghosts would mistake them as fellow ghosts. That was the belief. And to keep the ghosts away from their houses, they would put food outside to basically keep them from going inside of their homes. And this is where the tradition of dressing up in costumes comes from. It's a very ancient thing, and that's where Halloween comes from. Now, of course, I shouldn't have to give this disclaimer, but I'll give it anyway. Of course, most people who go out and engage in Halloween trick-or-treating, they don't believe any of this. They don't believe it. But that is where it comes from. So how should we as Muslims understand this day and how should we approach it, Halloween? Well, number one, the Prophet ﷺ taught us not to copy what people do if what they are doing is based on strange superstitions or beliefs. مَنْ تَشَبَّهَ بِقَوْمٍ فَهُوَ مِنْهُمْ We don't imitate those specific things. Likewise, as Muslims, we try not to make fun of death. We don't make fun of death. Death is a serious thing. And every person is eventually going to die. And the Prophet ﷺ taught us to take death seriously and not make it a joking matter. Likewise, we believe as Muslims that there is a seen and an unseen world. There's this world that we see around us, the Alam al-Shahada, and then there's the Alam al-Ghayb, the unseen realm, the realm of the angels and the jinn and the barzakh. And that unseen realm is not just angels. That unseen realm also includes dark forces, demonic forces. We believe that. That's a reality of the ghayb Allah has mentioned in the Qur'an. So we don't make light or joke about demonic forces, dark forces, shaitan. Allah says, إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَكُمْ عَدُوْ فَاتَّخِذُهُ عَدُوَا Shaitan is to you an open enemy. So take him as an enemy. He's not a cartoon character with, you know, all red with a tail and pitchforks and horns. Likewise, dear brothers and sisters, as Muslims, we make a concerted effort to cleanse our homes of everything and anything that is ugly and unclean, cobwebs, dirt, and the like. And that is so that we attract the angelic presence in our homes because the angels like things that are clean. So it's a part of our nature as well, our fitrah, to want to be in an environment that is pure and pleasing to the eye and to the soul. So a healthy human being is attracted to the light instead of darkness. A healthy human being is attracted to what is clean rather than what is filthy. The human being that has a natural fitra intact is attracted to beauty instead of ugliness. And lastly, dear brothers and sisters, as we reflect on Halloween, understand that it is okay to be different from the crowd and stand out if you're doing good. In fact, at times it's absolutely necessary. 
the Prophet says, do not be an imma'a. Now this word imma'a basically means don't be a conformist. He said, don't be a conformist. One who says, if the people do good, I'll be good. And if the people do bad, then I'll be bad. Rather, he said, instead, if they do bad, you do good. So it's okay to be different from the crowd. And if you have iman, you value your iman, you're going to have to take stances in this life where you stand out from the majority and hold to your convictions, hold to your beliefs, hold to your ethics. It's okay to stand out if you stand out by doing what is good and avoiding what is evil. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove all superstitions from our hearts and to give us full reliance upon Him. And we ask Allah ta'ala to instill in us the certainty of إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ Allah has power over all things. To give us the certainty and to experience and taste the meaning of لَا حَوْلَى وَلَا قُوَّةَ إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ There is no movement or power except by Allah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those who turn to Him for all of our needs, small and large, and to understand the reality of cause and effect. So we know that there is no one that brings benefit except Him subhanahu wa ta'ala wa taqaddasat asma'uhu. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adhab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulik. النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا بقدر عظمة ذاتك في كل وقت وحين سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين أقوموا إلى صلاتكم يحمكم الله